News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Those are the phone numbers. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com, and that is Callender with a K, A-L-I-N-E-R. And then, of course, on the Twitter machine, at Pete Callender, where uh, I got this message from MAGA, American Pitbull, who says, Pete, you have to stop. I am sitting in my car alone laughing uproariously at your Biden shtick, and people are starting to stare at me. (laughs) Welcome the attention. And then roll down the windows and turn up the signal so people can hear. Um, But just make sure you have the car in gear in case they start attacking it when when they realize it's me. I mean, just always be prepared, you know, ABP. So uh, the Wall Street Journal editorial board writing about uh Biden going after gig workers and this is about a payoff to the to the uh, unions that's what this is about it's also a really good example of why people like me uh, criticize presidents including former President Trump but basically all presidents for legislating via executive order and when you start doing things like that it can be they can be undone. Well, unless you're like Barack Obama and you do something about uh, immigration and then you're and then any other president is powerless to undo that. I mean, that's what the courts have. That's what they've conveyed. So. The Fair Labor Standards Act defines an employee as an individual, any individual employed by an employer. But the Supreme Court has been ruling on this matter for decades, like since the 40s, and they have like this multi-prong economic reality test that instructs courts and businesses to weigh all these different factors in order to determine whether a worker uh, is an employee or an independent contractor. And it takes into account things like a company's right to control uh, the manner in which the work is done, the worker's opportunity for profit or loss, the worker's investment in equipment or materials or tools. Do you require a special skill? Is it a permanent gig? Um, how uh, integral is it to a company's business? All of these different things, these factors are all weighed when a court looks at a specific case. Here's the problem. Different federal courts have placed different emphasis on different factors. And the Wall Street Journal editorial board says that has resulted in confusion. So the Trump administration t- uh, tried to clear up the mess with a rule that told courts and companies to weigh foremost the nature and degree of a worker's control and the opportunity for profit. They said this is the thing that you should rely on most, right? How much control does a worker have and do they have an opportunity to make a profit? And if you and that, to me that makes sense because if there's no room to make more money by doing different things, then I am an employee, right? And this was actually it's a great example when I worked at a radio station years and years ago, um, and they uh, uh, they they made me do work, right? They assigned me duties and then 1099 me. They called me an independent contractor. Yet I was an employee of theirs required to work 50 hours a week. And then I had to do the other work that they also required. But then they 1099 me for that. And I ended up getting hit 
with a several thousand dollar tax bill because I was not having any of these taxes taken out. I had no idea what a 1099 contractor was. I was like right out of college. And so they screwed me over. And when I realized what had happened, I told them, like, I'm not a 1099 contracted uh, uh, contractor. And they said, that's the way they've always done it. And I said, well, that's not the way you're going to do it for me because I just got nailed with a three or $4,000 tax bill. I don't have that kind of money because you're only paying me $12,000 a year. So uh, I, you're going to have to put that into my paycheck and you're going to have to take out the taxes because I'm not, because I have to go do this stuff. And they said, well, we're, no, we're not going to do that. And I said, well, then I'm not going to do the work because if I'm a contractor, then I get to say, I don't want to do that work. They said, I don't have that opportunity. I can't, I cannot refuse to do the work. I said, well, then I'm an employee, right? Like to me, this is very clear cut, right? If I have the ability to refuse the work, then I'm a contractor. If I don't have the ability to refuse the work, then I'm an employee. If I can't refuse the, or if I can't accept the work and make more money, I'm an employee. So this is what the Trump administration says. The test enabled most independent contractors to remain independent contractors. But the Biden proposal now replaces that rule with a totality of the circumstances analysis, which focuses on whether workers are economically dependent upon an employer for work. So that means Uber drivers are now going to be labeled as employees. What do you think is going to happen to that business model? Under this standard, gig workers would probably have to be reclassified as payroll employees, and this would reduce worker flexibility. It would disrupt the business models, and we saw what happened yesterday. Both Uber and Lyft saw massive sell-offs of their shares. The proposed rule has the potential to sweep broadly. It could cover most corners of the economy. Newspaper columnists, truck drivers, real estate agents, barbers, consultants, Tons of freelancers all could possibly be affected. The administration is proving that it is an equal opportunity jobs killer. That from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, There's a connection here to a guy named Fetterman on the labor issue. I'll get to that in a minute. First, let me get over here to Jack. Hello, Jack. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hello, Pete. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. What's going on? Well, what you were just talking about there, one of the reasons I left California, most of that comes from uh, a California state representative by the name of Lorena Gonzalez, who's married to Nathan Fletcher, who's a county supervisor in San Diego County. And that bill in California to reclassify gig workers was hers. Ah. She since resigned and works uh, for a, a nonprofit that's um, a union promotion nonprofit basically but you know all these crazy ideas always come from california that's where that one came shocking so i was talking to you the other day we were talking about advertising political advertising how yeah. crazy it is. so i had a couple of auditions yesterday that you, you know you just couldn't make them up so one is for um u.s senate candidate john fetterman no. And everybody knows he had a stroke. Right. He's having trouble putting thoughts together. He's having trouble talking. Very similar to the president. But, uh, <laughs> well, he also, the president also suffered an aneurysm. I think two of them, several, like a couple decades ago. So, so the Democrats never wanted to miss an opportunity or take advantage of a situation. Here's the, here's the commercial. Um, it says, this is U.S. Senate candidate John Fetterman. In this commercial, 
John won't say anything. That's because John believes talk is cheap. He'd rather be at work helping people like he's been doing for 20 years. John Fetterman, less talking, more doing. Oh, my God. <laughs> less uh, talking, more. Are you aware, like this guy, I've, I saw the report today. There are questions being raised about how when he was on like some local board or something, like a county commission, he never showed up for any of those meetings. He didn't show up uh, for like more than half of his time as the parole board commissioner guy. So people are wondering, is this guy actually interested in governing or is he simply like he's just running in order to be the placeholder for the new governor to make the appointment to the seat after the election? Well, I think that's that's what would happen. But in his political past, I saw the CNN piece on him. It was pretty interesting. And he was kind of the last guy standing in this little town in Pennsylvania where where he's from. There, you know, everything had left. You know, there was nothing there, no jobs, no business or whatever. And he had a, a little business and people in town knew him. And I, I think he became the mayor and then went on to do some other things. But yeah, it's pretty funny. There's one other one other commercial that I thought was funny. And this one, this one's for a state race in Texas, and um, this is this is what this guy's running on. This is the commercial. Sean Smith has a 100 percent rating from Planned Parenthood for fighting to exp- to expand abortion access and defending the comp- contraception coverage requirements of the Affordable Care Act. John Smith for state senate. So he, it's a man running for state senate, and all his, his platform is abortion. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sherry Beasley's got an ad running right now. Um, I saw it online, I want to say. Maybe it was on a YouTube video. It, it pre-rolled for me. Uh, may, I, I, think it was, I think it was paid for by Planned Parenthood or something, and uh, they touted the Planned Parenthood endorsement. Like, they're out there. Bi- I mean, like they're no longer, you know, hiding sort of in the shadows and not putting their name on things and calling, you know, Emily's list and like they no more cutouts. They're they're out there touting yeah. these endorsements now. So there's also one one new thing that I saw today that I hadn't seen before. And you might want to look look into it. Have you ever heard of the Jones Act? Mhm. Well, there's some advertising that they're auditioning for right now. And the script basically said, um, as politicians look for ways to lower inflation, repealing the Jones Act is a viable option. Mm-hmm. And apparently the Jones Act... It's crazy. Uh, yeah. Any ship coming to the United States can make one stop in the USA, but can't make a second stop in the USA. It has to go to another country before it can come back to America. Right, which posed all these problems when we needed to get relief to Puerto Rico... We couldn't we, we couldn't send ships that had come to America first and then on their way back out drop some stuff off at Puerto Rico. Gotcha. I, I just never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's one of these it's a it's a ridiculous rule that needs to go away. It's absolutely insane. Uh, but uh, and, and it hampers a lot of the re- uh, uh, recovery efforts um, and uh, and it drives up the price of goods. So. Uh, Jack, I appreciate the call. Good to hear from you. Thanks for sharing the uh, the scripts. Those are nuts. That Fetterman. We're going to listen to Fetterman, a report that NBC News did yesterday. It got the reporter in all sorts of trouble. We'll take a listen in a minute.
News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Hmm. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let me play this report from NBC News. This was the first in-person interview with, uh, is it John Fetterman? I forget his first name. I think it's John. Anyway, NBC News. Our Dasha Burns spoke with Democrat John Fetterman in his first in-person sit-down interview since he suffered a stroke. And Dasha, this was not a typical candidate interview. By the way, speaking of interviews, uh, I'm not going to interview Vince Coakley tomorrow night, but we're just going to have more of a chat as part of the Talktoberfest. It's at at 8 o'clock every Thursday in October. WBT's Talktoberfest 2022 occurs on the Facetube Live, Facebook Live. Every Thursday, 8 o'clock, and tomorrow night it's going to be me and Vince Coakley. So come on, hang out, and uh, chat about all things uh, in the news, and uh, we'll talk inside baseball, talk radio, uh, whatever. Whatever comes up in the live stream chat box, we, uh, you know, we're your Huckleberry, or Hucklebearer. I've heard now this is uh, apparently a point of contention. It's all presented by Kristen Bernard and Power Home Team, Keller Williams, South Park. Visit WBT.com for all of the details. All right, so NBC News report by Dasha Burns. First, in-person sit-down interview with John Fetterman. This is important. The in-person part is important. No, Lester, because of his stroke, Fetterman's campaign required closed captioning technology for this interview to essentially read our questions as we ask them. And Lester, in small talk before the interview without captioning, it wasn't clear he was understanding our conversation. Can voters trust that you will be able to do this job on day one? Yeah, of of course. This is Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman's first in-person sit-down interview since a stroke sidelined him from the campaign trail for months. That auditory processing where I'll I'll hear someone speaking, but sometimes I'll be able to be... uh precise on what exactly that they're saying. I use captioning. His campaign required that he be allowed to use a transcription program on his computer during our interview. I always thought I was pretty empathetic, uh, uh, emphatic. Uh, I think I was very, excuse me, empathetic. Uh, You know, that's an example of the stroke, empathetic. I I always thought I was very empathetic uh, before having a stroke. But now after having that stroke, I really understand you know, much more kind of the challenges that Americans have day in and day out. So, all right, let, let me stop right there because and you can watch the whole report. It's at NBC News. But that was sort of the clearest example. And, and they're showing him sitting there, and you can see he's got a monitor set up, and uh, they're essentially doing it's like a Zoom call, but there's like closed captioning going by. And he's reading what she's saying as she says it. That's why there was this lag, there was this pause before he answered the question. Here's the thing I don't understand, and I'm not a political operative, right? I've never run a political campaign, so I have no idea on this stuff. However, why would you have not just embraced this as who he is, this is the challenge he's overcoming, all that? Like, why would you... Why would you insist he's fine all this time? Because, by the way, that, that has been what they have been saying, right? They've been saying that John Fetterman is fine. He's recovered. There's no problem here. But now we're getting this line that, 
This is no different than a disability. Even, you know, if it's some sort of impairment, which it isn't, it totally isn't, because he's fine, right? If it was an impairment, then it would be no different than a disability, which this is totally not the same thing because he's totally fine. When it's obvious that he's not fine, right? It is clear that he suffered a stroke and he has some lasting effects of that stroke. So why would you not just say, I have, I mean, as he did there, right? He says the auditory processing. This is a problem for him. The auditory processing. Okay. And now we, we understand. So I'm, I know what I'm watching and listening to. Makes sense. But he's acknowledging this now versus a month ago, two months ago, right? However many months it's been since he first had the stroke and people started asking, can he actually do this? And I assume that with the rehab and stuff, and he's getting better. I assume that he is, he's never going to be 100%. I don't believe. I don't think you ever can be. And I have sort of personal experience with this myself. Not that I had a stroke, but I, I talked about the other day. Uh, I had vertigo. And it it blew out two of the three sort of um, uh, uh, strands of my vestibular nerve in my left ear. And that has lasting impacts on me and my perception, like my literal like depth perception and the way I see things and the way the brain interprets things. It's beyond my control. I cannot fix it any longer. Uh, my rehab was, uh, you only have a certain window, uh, you know, to, to try to, uh, rehab the brain because as you get older, the brain hardens and it doesn't, it, it doesn't learn as easily as it did when you were younger. So why not just embrace this and say, and be honest with people during the campaign? Maybe they were afraid that, you know, he wouldn't, uh, that he would get run out or something, or he's going to lose if he, if he talks about this, but I, I'm not, I'm not so sure that was the case. I'm not so sure that would have been the case. And I think the lying about it all this time now to finally just kind of come around and say, oh, okay, yes, I do have these effects, but I can still do the job. Like now it strikes me as you're only acknowledging this because you realize you can't pull off the lie anymore, right? That's the, it's not the, it's not the crime. It's the cover up principle at play. News Talk 1110 993 WBT. Dasha Burns, reporter for NBC. Sorry, NBC. NBC News. Uh, she said on, on the Twitter machine um, that it's possible for two different reporters to have two different experiences with a candidate. Our team was in the room with John Fetterman and reported what happened in it, as journalists do, before and after closed captioning was turned on. Right? This, and why is she putting out this statement? Because the left has swarmed like the flying monkeys in Wizard of Oz, just swarmed around NBC News's reporter, Dasha Burns, and NBC News, just swarm, 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 over the the report that you just heard. The fact that she mentioned that Fetterman was using this uh, technology, this assistive, I think they call it assistive tool or something like that, 
closed captioning, real-time closed captioning, because he has auditory processing issues. He's listening to somebody speak, and his brain is not processing what it is that he is hearing. And so he can read, apparently, so the, the, the visual processing remains intact. And he can sit there in an interview and have the closed caption program run, so as she's asking the question, he can read the question and then answer the question. And he gets a sense of what she's saying by because he can hear the tone, I assume. But the words, he's having a problem linking them all together. Which if you've seen some of the clips of him on social media at some of these rallies and such, it makes sense. He's, it, it, he can, he's having a hard time structuring sentences. This is a cognitive issue as well. Now, I don't know if it's purely auditory, because at this point, I don't trust anything the campaign is saying, because the campaign said he was fine first, and now they're saying, okay, yes, auditory processing issues, he has this closed captioning thing. And the reporter said that before we started the interview, in our just chit-chatting, you know, casual conversation before the interview began, it seemed like he had a hard time understanding or following our conversation. Now, is that something she should not report on? Of course she should. That's what a reporter does, right? She's not saying vote for him because of it or vote against him because of it. She's pointing out that this is, in fact, what occurred. Is this a relevant piece of information? Yes, it is. It is. It's a relevant piece of information, because the campaign has denied that it has had any kind of an impact at all. Right? They originally were saying full recovery. And anybody who has had any kind of experience with this kind of uh, affliction, this kind of uh, ailment, right, knows that that's not the case. This is a lifelong thing, and it's the, the older you get, the worse it becomes. And so the harder it is to, to rehab a, a, a off of. So, yes, there were questions about his cognitive abilities as we were seeing the videos of him at these events, which, by the way, right, there were a lot of people in media that tried to prevent those things from getting out. They tried to his his team tried to limit those kinds of uh, uh, moments from occurring. Right. They tried to uh, keep him away from media. So he wasn't going to be remember the like him walking in the parade and they would like try to keep everybody away so they couldn't throw questions at him, that sort of thing. And I, again, I understand that because if you're in a large crowd at a parade and you've got these kinds of issues going on, then it's going to be disorienting to you. It's going to be difficult to follow where the voices are coming from, right? And I don't say any of this to denigrate the guy. I've made no commentary about his fitness for office or anything. That's going to be for the people of Pennsylvania to determine. But the cover-up is usually what gets you into trouble. And so after NBC News puts out this report yesterday, the Democrats in media, but I repeat myself, they start swarming around this reporter on social media. And you get leftist bloggers and podcasters that are like, I interviewed Fetterman and he was fine and blah, blah, blah. So they're like essentially accusing this reporter of lying. Well, she's not because it's clear on the video that he's using this voice-to-text tool. And he says that he's using it for the reason, auditory processing, right, that's in the report. So she deals with it, 
but she also talks about the rest of the race. But she's attacked by other podcasters, liberal podcasters, who say that uh, they did interviews with her, uh, with Fetterman, and he was fine. And she's now pointing out, first off, it's possible that different reporters have different experiences with a candidate. But then she also says, quote, we were happy to accommodate closed captioning. Our reporting did not and should not comment on fitness for office. This is for voters to decide. What we do push for as reporters is transparency. That's our job. Fetterman sat down and answered our questions. That's his job. And she's exactly right. I mean, I cannot believe I'm defending NBC News here, but here I am, right? This is exactly correct. And what's amazing to me is how many people on the left, because, I mean, she's getting dragged. I mean, ratioed all over the place with people that are just out for blood against her because they're afraid it's going to cost their guy the race. They're accusing her of ableism. You know what that is, right? Ableism. Right, your privilege as an able-bodied person against someone who is disabled. I agree with Fetterman. He probably does have a whole new understanding as people who get, you know, uh, uh, ailments. They are Eyes get opened. You now have a different experience in a way that you did not before. You have a new understanding in a way you might not have before. Absolutely. All of those things can be true. But as a reporter, your job is to tell us the facts. And the facts were he's using this assistive program and he acknowledges he has problems with auditory processing. And it is up to the voters now to determine whether this is something that would jeopardize him uh, him as a candidate for office or his ability to do the job. That That's being fully informed. And what we're seeing is there are a lot of people that don't want a fully informed electorate, which I was under the impression you needed for a democracy. But maybe not in their world. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got an email here from Jason. Pete, first of all, when talking about the Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania, the candidate's name is pronounced Fetterwoman. Come on, bro. Seriously? I apologize. That is totally my fault. I completely forgot. It's Fetterwoman, as he clearly uh, explained at an event a couple of uh, weeks back. It's Fetter Woman. Second, he says all the experts agree, and you can ask any doctor this, that whenever you have a stroke, the first thing you should do is something incredibly stressful. So there's nothing to see here. Exactly. All right. I think that's sound medical advice. Um, <laughs> then there's this. Uh, Except, by the way, the reason the connection here with Fetterman is that he is running on a on, on an uh, unabashed "I'm your union guy" candidacy. Okay, talks about how no matter where he is, he talks about how I can just walk across the street there and I'm at the union hall. No matter where he is, even if like you look across the street and there isn't a union hall there, he still says that he can walk across the street to a union hall. That's where he goes. And and look. I mean, it is like, you know what you're getting. And this, he's making this appeal very overt, right? Living in his parents' house. Doesn't change out of that hoodie. Right? Like, this is 
a very clear campaign strategy at this point. So he's right. He's making an appeal for the quote working class. Okay. On the other side of the aisle, though, something else is afoot. Something is going on. Washington Examiner's David Drucker has a piece on this. It's very interesting. Accelerating the House Republicans' divorce from corporate America is an eagerness among party officials to sign the papers, the divorce proceeding papers, in the belief that the discussion of this decades-old political marriage will consummate their budding relationship with working-class voters and ensure dominance over the Democrats. The split is poised to have consequential ramifications in Congress beginning in January when a new Republican House majority filled with members borderline hostile to big business could assume power. Rather than shield corporations from excessive regulations and invasive committee hearings, as in past years, any new GOP House majority is expected to rake executives over the coals. There's even the possibility they could make common cause with President Biden on certain topics, like antitrust law. The Republican Party is so much healthier now that we've divorced ourselves from corporate America, said Representative Jim Banks, Republican from Indiana. He is the chairman of the Republican Study Committee. Multiple factors are driving this political separation. You have the inroads that former President Trump made with blue-collar voters. It's now spilling over into gains with Hispanics. You have the rise of politically active corporations that are siding with Democrats on cultural issues. Why? Because that managerial class, right, they are all leftists. Not all, but for the most part, in many industries, they're leftists. HR policies being implemented by leftists. And so that, that just sort of infects the entire corporate structure. The key development in the breakdown, though, is the decision many corporate political action committees made to cut off donations to congressional Republicans who voted against certifying Biden's Electoral College victory. Why? What happened? Was it because the corporations got pressure from the left and from the, their managerial class? Don't you dare donate to those insurrectionists. They hate democracy. Right. OK. So what happened? Well, they realized we don't need your money. <laughs> oh, look at that. Yeah. House Republicans discovered they didn't need the contributions from the business community in order to keep the campaigns afloat. So pound sand. And also, some of them stopped interacting with corporate lobbyists altogether. They got a quote from a man named Sam Gedoldig. Gedoldig? Gedoldig? Anyway, he's a Republican lobbyist in D.C., and uh, he said a lot of companies are going to find themselves shut out from members who are incoming committee chairs, subcommittee chairs, and leaders. And some of these new people coming in, they don't have any desire to work with corporate lobbyists. Uh, some lobbyists who uh, spoke on condition of anonymity say their pleas have fallen on deaf ears. Some corporations are reluctant to donate. Why? Fear of public backlash or internal employee pressure. The woke mob. They're afraid of the woke mob. So Republicans are realizing, okay, well, go play with them. They're your new friends. See ya. And that's going to drive, they hope, more working class votes for them. I said before, this is a realignment of our political parties we've not seen in a very, very, very long time. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.